Welcome to the Broken Pie Truck Podcast, episode 198. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and this week we have back Jay Pestercelli, my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial. Jay, how you doing? Doing great, Derek. It's December. I'm here. We're almost done with this year. Excited to, to get things and hit the reset button in January. I, f- I feel like that's the sentiment across Wall Street. I think people are ready to yeah. be done. And, you know, I've teased the fact that we're going to have our show with our predictions for 2023, and hopefully everybody bet against those predictions in 2022. But we'll go into that more when we do that episode. Do we, do but, we have to? Do we, ha- do we have to show what we said I at, mean, the beginning, at the end of 2021? I guess we should. Maybe let's start here. I mean, there's a, I feel like I did a show last week, and I, I went through how Wall Street is, I think, overly bearish, or everyone's bearish, I guess was the title of the show. And if you look at everyone's year-end targets for 2023, they're low. Goldman Sachs came out with something. And and I'm going to say who's right, who's wrong. Maybe this is a who's right, who's wrong segment or just this is like what makes the market go up, what makes the market go down. Goldman Sachs put out an EPS, earnings per share, scenario for 23. And the consensus is $231 per share. The baseline for Goldman Sachs is lower, 224 they said if we get a recession, earnings drop 11% to 200. Put this in perspective. Let's say you know, we're at a 17 PE, which is right about where we are currently. So 17 times 231, you'd have an S&P of 3950 if it was trading in a multiple of forward earnings of 17 times. So I, I think I'm going to throw this to you first. Earnings to you are still the story. And to me, earnings have to stay up for the market to go up higher if earnings come down. But I guess the question is, what are earnings going to be and what the multiple is going to be, right? Yeah. So, of course, those are the two questions that help give that equation for the market value, right, based on earnings. I Look, I feel like with a 17, 18 PE right now, based on interest rates, that feels a little on the high end. Um, but I also think the market is under projecting earnings like this. You know, the Goldman Sachs note that you mentioned that they put the data out. They gave you two, three scenarios, right? If earnings are up four, if earnings are flat or earnings down 11. And my, what was my first reaction? Where's the where's plus up 11? 11? Like, yeah, where's that? <laughs> 11. Don't give me plus four is the best scenario. So I think they're wrong. I think the multiple is probably a little too high right now, but I also think they're probably a little too low on earnings because earnings continue to be fairly strong in this market, despite all the fear and all the activity of the Fed. I mean, so plus 11 would be 248 and change. That is, I mean, that would be a surprise to the upside, I think, especially I mean, considering I'm not predicting plus 11, but like, give me a better bull case than plus four. Come on. I mean, they could have thrown minus 22 on here, right? Although I will say in, in a typical recession, a normal recession, you'd expect around a 10% decline in earnings. Now, that doesn't mean the market's going to go down 10% because as you alluded to, Jay, the market could forecast the future and say, you know, we're going to trade at a higher forward multiple because we see things are eventually going to you know, get a little bit better. And Jay, we talked about that two or three episodes ago when you were last on, the idea that the market discounts things early and turns earlier than the economy. And 
I mean, I go back to this too. Are we sure there's going to be a recession, Jay? Are we really sure? Everyone says there's going to be. When has everyone been right? And I'll answer like, who cares, right? I always answer who cares that a committee votes that we had a recession three quarters ago and two quarters ago. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't necessarily think it's all that relevant. I mean, the characteristics of a recession are relevant to me, but, you know, hitting the R word is irrelevant to me. Uh, but yeah, look, I mean, I think that committee will vote that there is a recession. All right. I mean, when you look at things like the bond curve inversion, I mean, it's pretty extreme and it might not happen, Derek, in 2023. Right. Which, by the way, that helps nobody. Right. I, I get that. Right. Because you could go 18 months after the curve inverts before you get a recession sometimes. Right. So, like, are we going to eventually have a recession? Sure. Of course we will. Is it happening? You know, we're going to get the official, you know, nod or the committee is going to officially designate a period uh, of having a recession in Q4 and Q1 of 2023. No, I think I think no, I think that's all wrong. It may be. Look, eventually we'll have a recession, Derek. That's a bet I feel I'll eventually win if you're really asking me. Well, I mean, even Australia, you would win that bet, and they hadn't had one since 94, and they finally had one in 2020. That was uh, the longest standing, you know, whatever economy without a recession. It is interesting, too, on, the, on this yield curve inversion. And I've got to go back and look at the data, but from memory, we typically don't see a recession start until after it uninverts, meaning right now. Almost every time. You're, you're absolutely right. When, you, when it uninverts, when, it, when the yield curve flattens out, that is when they, you know, you see the gray bar, right? When you look at the Fed, you know, where they give you the periods of time where you have a recession, right? It's always after. So it's doesn't true. that say, I mean, the more we invert, the, the greater the inversion is, and we're more inverted now, meaning twos are greater than tens by a, a pretty wide margins. Three months are greater than tens by a pretty wide margin. That also tells me that it would take a lot for that to uninvert. So I don't know. I mean... Like, just because stuff happened in the past doesn't mean it's going to happen in the future. But, I mean, every – Jay, we watch CNBC, and i got to be honest with you. A lot of people come on CNBC. I don't think they're helping investors. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, there's going to be a recession. Our base case is a recession. As you say, like, who cares? What does that mean for stocks? What does it mean for earnings? And every recession doesn't have to be that bad. I think it's a little bit lazy. I'm going to say something. I don't know if this is controversial or not. I think it's lazy to say we're going to have a recession next year. As you say, like, so what? So what does it mean? Does the market already discount that? I mean, I don't know. Do, do you agree at all? I mean, I, I think it's kind of lazy to just come on and say that. It's too easy to say that. I mean, I mean it's a headline grabber. But it, again, what's that mean? I don't know what to do with that information, right? Does it mean I should... What, start saving because I may lose my job? People should start planning? No. Is it changing anybody's behavior except stoking fear? I don't know. I think it's even worse that you've got, you know, a lot of uh, like you got like a Jamie Diamond out there who's talking about, you know, the the pending, the, the possible hurricane hitting the market and causing a disaster. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I actually would value his opinion more because he's got real data, right? He's got real credit card information. He's got bank deposit information. But still, you know, what are we supposed to do with that information, right? Is it maybe don't make any big expenditures? I don't know. I don't think that's slowing down at all. So, again, I don't know what to do with the recession information. You are, Let's tie it back to the earnings piece. Does that mean we have, you know, negative uh, earnings? It could be, right? Maybe that's what it's all supposed to be. But I don't, you know, based on the data that we're seeing so far 
and based on GDP. Doesn't seem like that's even the case. And again, not sure it really matters. I guess really, I'm really blown off the whole recession concept. Sorry, it feels so negative about it, but I don't, I'm not sure when I'm trying to figure out how to you know, invest in this market that it's one of those things that uh, changes our, our, you know, our outlook all that much. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you and I always say, be invested, be hedged. It's if what you fear happens, you've got the hedges in place. But it doesn't mean you miss out if the market decides to run. Uh, all right, I'm going to transition to employment, Jay. And this is a little of who's right, who's wrong. I touched on this. I think it was last week, the week before. Uh, I said, I, you know, the house, employment comes out. And employment is this amalgamation or, or uh, you know, combination of what they call the household survey. You know, they're calling people at their house. Hey, do you have a job? Great. Don't have a job? Are you looking for a job? Are you not looking for one? Okay, great. You're you're not unemployed or employed. You're out of the survey. But and then there's this uh, this NFP labor market survey, and I think that's where they call businesses. And one of the things I notice is, you know, these generally are. It's not exact, meaning you know the household is plus a hundred thousand jobs in the month, and NFP is plus hundred thousand. It doesn't work like that. But the Daily Shot came out with a chart on Twitter, and this is the change in thousands of persons. And what you see is going back to January of 21 uh, through, let's say, oh, I don't know, uh, March of this, uh, you know, early this year, the bars, I mean, when, when one went up, the other went up too. Jay, what we're seeing recently, though, is the establishment survey said we increased jobs the household survey says we've lost jobs and it's been two months in a row. I don't know what to, to make of this, but if household is right, employment's not as strong as we think. And I think that's one of the arguments people are making as the Fed has to keep pushing the gas because employment's too good. But household's not telling us it's good, Jay, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, according to this data, by the way, a lot of data in this podcast we're going to go through and I'll just... I'll share with, with your audience, Derek. Um, what Derek does is before our podcast, he sends me you know, 95 charts that we're going to talk about. 95 the, is right. Uh, exactly right, Jay. <laughs> this week it was 195. And, uh, uh, and this is, but this is pretty interesting from a data perspective. I think this is worth showing people when they, uh, because it's, it's unusual, right? The behavior is something's, something's amiss where you do see a very a divergence between the household survey numbers even directionally versus the establishment survey numbers, where all of a sudden, if you just did use the household survey, you'd show job losses. And uh, while the establishment survey is flat, maybe trending down, it's not even close to being negative. Yet four times this year so far, the household survey has been negative. Uh, so there's been a, there's definitely been, you know, a, a, I'll use that term again, a divergence in the way that the data is trending. They're not always you know, correlated, but they're usually similar and there's something really amiss going on there. Now, they only give back to January 2021, Derek. It'd be interesting to see in other recessions. Uh, darn it, I use that word. In other periods of market fear where the Fed was trying to slow down uh, the economy, uh, what, this, uh, what this survey looks like. But yeah, the last two years, there's something uh, strange going on in the uh, you know this year. Certainly, the last two months. I was interested to see if there's any reason why. The only thing somebody pointed, and this is from Bloomberg, also put out by the Daily Shot, and they said that the percentage of respondents to 
uh, the NFP labor market survey, was at a 20-year low. In other words, hey, we're surveying people, and according to this, I'm going to guesstimate it's about 48% of people responded to the survey. I don't know what that means. Is that why these are off or different? Because they're not getting the, the, the survey responses, and it skews it, and the expected error goes up. I have no idea. I have no idea what to do with this, Jay. But uh, have you ever got one of these calls, right, from the labor market? You ever got a labor market survey? No, I don't. I don't think I have. I don't think I have. I haven't either. No. I don't know who gets that. <laughs> Not as a business owner or as an individual, have I ever been called? To ask yeah. If I have a job. One thing that that is trending up though is wages, and the Atlanta Fed puts out a wage growth tracker. It's a uh, kind of a three month moving average. And they had a chart. Actually, Lizanne Saunders had put this out from Schwab. Uh, and it was the highest earning quartile and the lowest earning quartile. And the lowest earning quartile, uh, that's folks in, in the lowest quartile of, of wages, 7.4% uh, was the increase in wages, 4.8% for the highest quartile. Jay, this is a problem for the Fed. And this is what they're afraid of. They're afraid of the quote unquote wage spiral because wages are sticky. They get embedded in the economy. They don't tend to come down. Uh, and this would cause pricing pressure, demand pressure, I suppose. This is sort of a fly in the ointment of the argument that the Fed has to pivot at some point, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we always thought this would be a little bit of a delay, right? Um I do, I do wonder, right, we always thought like wage growth would be a little slower when inflation came in, right? But when you look at this, you know, the way the data is trending, it's clearly on an uptrend. It's a pretty uh, uh, steep slope upwards. Um, and when I, you know, look back through this data, because it was flat for a whole, for a long period of time, right? Like, while the, the lower quartile is always kind of trending up, probably has a lot to do with policy and, 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 you know, minimum wage stuff. But uh, when you look at, you know, when these trend down, it's in recessionary periods, right? 01, 08, those kind of start trends from going down. And so you could see why if the Fed wanted to stop this, they would want to cause economic, you know, economic contraction. Um, so you see how I used a different word than recession there, Derek? Economic contraction. Let's call it that. Um I don't, you know, the other thing about this, Derek, is, you know, this is the of the people that are working, right? So if you have less people working, but they're getting paid at a higher rate, is it really wage inflation? I don't know, you know, that there's a little, you know, wrinkle into this math. But I think right now, right, we already showed unemployment is still good, right? The employment numbers are good. So that's probably not the case. So you've got more people working and they're getting paid more. Yeah, they have to, right? People are getting paid more to offset inflation. So yeah, and this is the cycle that they're trying to stop. I want to get to more about the Fed and when they pivot. And I think this is another, I almost feel like the Fed pivot is sort of similar to your, uh, your R talk. Um, one thing I will mention too, you know, we had the PPI numbers that came out. And I've also been watching inventories are an interesting thing to watch. And monthly inventories divided by sale is a sales ratios of merchant wholesalers, whatever this is, this is from the Census Bureau. Uh, it's going up. Inventories are going up. And Jay, we had a little bit of that news, you know, Target and Walmart over the summer, we commented on, on their inventories were higher. And generally it's like, okay, if you start to see inventories go up, 
does that mean that sales aren't going as well? And, you know, in a perfect world, you get inventory in, you turn it over, your inventory turnover ratio is high. Uh, it's, this to me is something to watch. I mean, we're nowhere near the highs of COVID 2020. Oh, I use the word. We're going to get the blue sticker on the on Spotify, Jay. You said oh, it. I know. I know. I know. All right. Bleep Maybe. it out. Like, can you bleep it out when you, when you edit? I don't know. I mean, they, they throw it on there. All you got to do is say it and they throw it on there. All right. So I think this is something to watch. Maybe there's not too much commentary on this, Jay. Any thoughts on this? Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of seasonality here. Maybe yeah. the supply chain is working itself out. I will give you a personal supply chain story. So a friend of oh. mine, um, uh, she, uh, she makes granola. She sells granola here in Florida. She's got a bunch of great clients. It's really, it's great granola, right? Like it's in schools, it's in restaurants. That's her gig, right? She sells granola. And, uh, she, this week couldn't find oats, to sell, to, so to make her granola, right? So she's like, well, I can't, can't, I can't find actually the materials needed to, you know, to make granola. So I just thought that was interesting. I don't know if there's a difference here in, you know, food supply versus other kinds of supplies, right? But I just thought that was an interesting story that there are still, you know, areas of the economy that uh, are showing some stress from uh, supply chain issues. So, you know, I don't know what happened. I can't believe they're out of granola for all of South Florida. She had to go to, down to Miami. So I'm in West Palm. She's in West Palm. We had to go down. She had to go down to Miami to uh, to get her oats. I just pulled up a chart of oats because there is a futures contract. I don't know who the heck trades that. You probably got to wake up the market maker at his house and be like, hey, I want to trade an oat contract. I don't know what the volume is. And oats had topped out about 800 I have no, I've never traded oats. I have no idea what these prices mean, but it's 800 and now it's 415. So oats prices are down. All right. It's a conundrum. We'll look into that further. We'll have to come up with an analysis of oat prices. I'll ask her. Yeah. All right. That's interesting though. All right. There you go. That's interesting. All right. So PPI came out, producer price index. That's like how much that the stuff costs, the people producing goods. And I know I'm butchering the definition of that, but that's the way I look at it. This is a little good news, bad news. The good news is that on a year-over-year basis, it was only up 7.4%. That's the the lowest year-over-year change since May of 21. Of course, there's always numerator-denominator stuff going on there. Uh, but there's this is a little bit interesting. Um, this was a chart. I think Liz Ann Saunders had put this out. It looks like a Bloomberg chart. And it's the PPI versus the PPI less food and energy. Uh, core PPI was the highest it's been since, I'm going to say, August. And aside from August, you'd have to go back to probably May of, of this year. And PPI in general has been trending higher. Uh, it was negative. I guess this is probably July. But it's been trending up since July. Um, I don't know if this is something or nothing, but I don't know, Jay. Producer price index, um, it's still firm, well, you, and I think it's surprising. Yeah, you had like a negative print in July, right? And then yeah. it kind of flattened out, and then uh, maybe that was June, and it flattened out in August. And so, like, yeah, it's weird um, to kind of see this little pop here in the uh, in the core number, uh, right? I mean, we're all kind of 
hoping that it goes down. By the way, that number came out this morning. The futures immediately sold off 1%. As we're recording this, the actual S&P is, you know, slightly up, right? So, you know, I wonder if, you know, how the market is interpreting this. I think you're going to talk about year-over-year numbers in a moment, that maybe it's not the worst, you know, story. So the bad news is trended up this month, you know, the good news is, well, take it. You want to jump ahead to kind of the what the good news on this story is? Yeah, I kind of teased that at the beginning. With seven point four percent the year over year, lowest since May of twenty one. I mean, if you look at a chart of the year over year percent change, the highest was in March of twenty twenty two. It was eleven point six six percent year over year. I guess this is, you know, sometimes. You and I both know if you want to use a chart to say something, you can come up with a chart to say whatever you want to say and have it mean. I think it's always important to remember that just because year over year is going down, prices are still higher than they've been. In other words, you could still have, let's say growth went to 1% year over year. All that means is the rate of change has slowed, but all those price gains are still embedded in the economy. They don't tend to really come down at least on a lot of the sticky stuff. But I will, I'll, I'll give you that. I mean, it, there is some good news, bad news on this. I mean, but there's I, a little bit I feel bit like of, you're accusing yourself uh, of a chart crime, right? So that's a little term we use internally at, uh, at Zega where someone sends out a chart and the data isn't really telling the truth, but tells a story, right? And uh, I feel oh, yeah. you're even accusing yourself of a chart crime on this one, Derek. Yeah. Trying to make a point, but you really believe it. Well, it's, it's funny that like chart crimes, I'll give you a good example. There was a chart floating out there and it was the percent change. It was um, uh, earnings estimates for 2023. Yeah. And the scale was like really wide. So it looked like it was a waterfall and was coming off a cliff. But then if you change the scale, really it was like, oh, estimates went from 235 to 231. But the chart scale made it look like it was, you know, the sky was falling. So, you know, anyway, um, I think we've beat up PPI enough. I, I would say it came in hot and I think core is is staying strong and it's 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 gone up. Um, we don't I think this is a let me see what December looks like and I'll I'll decide a little further on that. Is that fair enough? You know, we we've got uh we've got CPI, which is you know market reacts a little more to. Uh I think you feel there should be a little more weight on the PPI number. We got CPI next week. Uh so I think it's it's Tuesday, right? So I'm not sure if the podcast will be out yet or not. So it'll be interesting to see uh there. But I'll I'll add, Derek, that um, you know, if you had a miss, a hotter number. You know, like what we saw today in May or June, uh, I think the market would have reacted dramatically different. Uh, today, I said, you know, we're slightly up, we're flat. I right know we're flat. Nasdaq's up, ruts a little down. I, I mean, it just it feels like you know when those numbers come in softer than expected, right? Meaning lower than expected. I think the market recently has reacted strongly to the upside, right? I think we saw like a seven percent. You know, day in the Nasdaq last time CPA CPI came in a, le, a little lighter than expected, right? So it feels um, this is a question I get. You know, with market reaction in regard to this data, it feels like the market is uh, kind of done its own pivot to react more strongly to the upside on good inflation news versus being more punishing 
on hotter than expected news. Would you would you agree with that? That's kind of where we are at this stage yeah. in the cycle. No, I, I think that's right, and I think it's the market is le- seems less worried about bad news. It seems like it's disappointed. Um, it's kind of like you know if you find out one of your favorite athletes was using steroids all along, but you sort of suspected it. You're like, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm disappointed. I think that's the way the market feels right now about some of this inflation news. I would say too, next, you mentioned CPI coming out next week. The inflation now cast, which overestimated inflation last month, uh, they have CPI at 0.37 is the now cast for December core 0.51, which I think you know, that's still pretty high. Um, oh, sorry, that's December. So December will come out in January. November's number, which is coming out next week, 0.47 for CPI, 0.51 for core CPI. If those numbers came out, uh, November would be 7.49 for CPI year over year. December would be 7.27% year over year. Again, that would come out in, in, uh, in January. I mean, I think if we got, I don't know what the expectation is, but I think if we get, I mean, if core CPI is really comes out at a half percent, does the market like that? I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, well, half is that, yeah, no, sorry. I'm, I'm fluctuating on that because I'm thinking of two things. I think one, that number still keeps us at a higher rate year over year, right? Compound that 12 times. Uh, so it's not great. Um, and add in that it's a little higher than expected, right? If I, you know, I I still think the market uh, feels the Fed is on their own path and is priced in Fed going to five, you know, five percent. And if Fed funds go to five percent, the market's probably, you know, there's a good chunk of the market that's priced some of that in already, Derek. So I don't, I think it's not great news. Again, I don't think the market takes as big of a punishment as it would have in, you know, May or June, if you got that kind of a number again. So, so I don't think it's, it, you know, I just, I think everybody's feeling like the feds on its right, you know, it's done most of its raises. It's going to get another one or two in maybe three, and then it's going to slow down and see what happens. And then it's going to keep it high. So, you know, to answer your question, I don't think it's a dramatic change in the stock market pricing. Speaking of the Fed, Jay, and, and a lot of people are trying to guess the Fed pivot. And the way you feel about recessions, I'm starting to feel about these Fed pivots. I think too many people are coming on CNBC. I, I don't mean to pick on CNBC. You know, we I've been on there. You've been on there multiple times, more than me. Um, but it's like, I mean, I don't really care. Trying to pick a Fed pivot is fool's errand or fool's gold or something foolish. I don't know. Just Uh, foolish. I think so. And, you know, there was a chart that came out. It looks like this is from Arbor Data Science and their source was the St. Louis Fed. I saw this on Twitter. And basically it's the history of Fed pivots. It's a length of time from the first rate hike to rate cut. Um, And we're about 250 days into this cycle right now. And there have been periods that have been shorter and those that have been longer. I mean, Jay, one of the things we noticed was what's it, the 1980 period. Fed took rates from like 975 to 20% in the span of three months. That was I mean, pretty aggressive. 
Of course, they also had, you know, in the 70s, they had a pretty long run. But then you kind of look at there's this 2015 to 2019, and it was 891 days. They they counted that as a Fed tightening cycle because we went from zero to like, you know, 1.75 or one and a half percent. I don't know. I mean, I I think I think people have overestimated how soon a Fed is going to pivot. I think they've underestimated how high they've gone. Like everyone says, okay, five is the terminal rate. But, you know, six months ago, everyone's like, oh, they're not going to go above three. Why couldn't you go to six? Why couldn't you go to six and a half? I don't know. I mean, it goes where it goes, I think, at this point. And trying to pick Fed pivots. I will say, though, that I think here we pay attention to the market. First, the stock market, because the stock market I think rallies before the Fed pivots. That's just my opinion, Jay. And I think you've said that before too. I mean, the market is a a better barometer of things and the end date for these, all this stuff, right? Yep, I totally agree with that. All right. You're not not as mad as me, uh, uh, people making Fed pivot predictions. Well, I thought you were going to, I thought you had a second point. So yeah, so uh, look, I think the pivot is is where the early bottom pickers get really bullish. Right. They, they make meaningful bets. Um, and I think they're using that as the excuse. You know, you uh, I think you're going to make uh, uh, an, you're going to bring up uh, kind of a different point in a moment. Uh, did, unless we missed one of the points. Did we miss one of the points on Internet? No, we didn't miss the dollar discussion yet. Right. So uh, we're going to get to that in a moment. I do think it may. Sorry. Look, I had so much data Derek, to review before our podcast. My apologies. Um, I would say that the Fed pivot is the thing that the early bulls are looking for to get in. Uh, Any sign, right, any inkling that the Fed is going to slow down its rate of raises or actually stop before it hits five, five and a quarter, the market has really been all over that, right? Even just a Powell had a speech last week, the market went up 3%. He really didn't say anything new. Right. And the market went up. So I think that there there is a, you know, a very reactionary inflection point when it comes to the Fed, you know, rate of raises. Uh, but, you know, we're not done. We're, we're, I don't think we're done yet. I think uh, Powell says we're not done yet. Uh, and, uh, you know, if he has to bring them down, that's probably not going to be a good sign. I do think, though, that the Fed tells us their long term goal is to be a two and a half. Right. So when you look at what the Fed has told us, when you look at their kind of dot plots out to 2026, they want to be back to two and a half. Right. So they know that we're in this. Uh, uh, I can't remember the right way that they describe it. Constrictive range. Right. They, they know they're not being accommodated, so they're going to want to pull it back. So it's all about you know what they can do to inflation that's going to drive their decision process. And they have told us one data point, two data points aren't going to change their direction. Yet the market We'll jump ahead uh, in in a you know in an effort to try to be the uh, you know an early buyer. So you're right. I but except you know anytime there's a hint, Derek, we've seen a reaction in the market, and right now that may, that risk is to the upside. Meaning, if you're shorting this market, your risk is that the Fed says something dovish, and the market will punish you being short this market right now. I mean, here's the, here's the other point. Maybe this is contrarian. If the Fed is cutting rates, that probably means there's something amiss in the economy. Like in a perfect world, get to wherever they're going to get and just stay there. 
Because if they stay there, it means inflation's coming down. It means the economy's doing fine. And if inflation comes down and the economy starts to falter, I do think the Fed will will lower rates. Um, all right, but let me let me but talk they, about the dollar. They, but, they've told, but they've told you not too early, right? Right. And they've also told you that their you know twenty twenty six target is two point five. Listen, that's you know pie in the sky. Who knows? But that's they've told you, hey, we want to eventually get back to a more normal you know rate for inflation that is also in that one to three range, right? They want to be at two and a half percent. And so, you know, they're not, if they're like, okay, we're good at four and a half, we're good at five. I don't think you see 5% in a strong or weak economy, Derek. It just, it seems elevated versus what, you know, if inflation does eventually come down. I will say that the Fed has never been right since they've been publishing the dot plots. <laughs> I went enough. back and looked at Fair this, enough. all right? I mean, I'm just calling it out. It's even this, Jeff Bullard. Just, just like our projections. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We should send ours to uh, to Powell, have him fill out a, a quote unquote bracket with us. Um, yeah, let's see what he wants. But we do way, need we to have Bloomberg asking us. Yeah, we do get asked. We do get surveyed, right? Bloomberg does ask Sega Financial uh, what our outlooks are. So, yeah, no, yeah. we're part of the. It's kind That's of like cool. voting for the uh, the MVP in, in sports, right? We're part of the. Yeah, the, there you go. Asked. We got to vote. Doesn't all right. What does matter to me though is the dollar, and because the dollar, you know, in my experience, the dollar is relative to other currencies, and we've been raising when Europe was sort of not doing anything. Like we were the first out of the gate, and the dollar's been rallying. Uh, the dollar index, which is very eurocentric, there's also a trade weighted dollar index, which is a little different, but. You know, it, it peaked um, really, I'd say, you know, end of September-ish, right around there. And Lizanne Saunders had put something out from Schwab. Uh, she created a, or drew on an index, so not the full S&P, but stocks that have high international sales and overlaid that with a, a chart of the, the dollar index. And stocks that have international sales, they troughed, meaning they were at their lowest prices when the dollar was at its peak. And as the dollar has come down off its peak, those have started rallying. And I've been saying for a long time, Jay, there is this area of indifference on the strength of the dollar where it doesn't matter. It started to matter a lot. And to me, the sell-off was perfectly correlated with the strength of the dollar. So to me, it's about the dollar coming down. If the dollar can come down, Companies with international sales, their revenues go up, their earnings go up, and they get a little bit of a tailwind. And we know that emerging markets could get a ta- you know a little bit of a tailwind too. So I think this is the story. Like to me, don't talk to me about Fed pivots. Talk to me about the dollar, Jay. Well, Derek, when I asked you, you know, as we it wasn't in preparation for this; it was just another conversation. I said, "All right, let's come up with what's the scenario look like." that this market needs to see to get back to, I mean, even just 4,700, 4,600, right? How do we kind of break out of the downtrend? And your first answer was, dollar's got to sell off, right? And I think that's, and I think you're right about that right now. It's not always the case, by the way, but right now we're in an inversely correlated market between the dollar and stocks, right? So if stocks, uh, the dollar goes down, stocks go up, vice versa. 
that's absolutely been the case. And then we talked about well, one of the things that would drive that, right? Is it, you know, the interest rate raises that are happening uh, outside of America, right? Because those, you know, rates drive the value of currencies. That's probably could do a whole podcast just on that if everybody wanted to fall asleep. Uh, or did you do one already? Did I just insult when you did like that? Already? Probably, uh, but that's okay. Probably. <laughs> just uh, or, uh, you know, then we talked about things like companies held their earnings power to create the, uh, the expanded PE multiple. So this was like your number one answer as to what will drive the market right now. That has clearly been the case, right? The dollar peaked when the market bottomed, right? Those two things line up fairly well. Uh, so watch that. Um, by the way, uh, anybody that bought UUP, the ETF that kind of tracks the dollar index, that's probably the only asset class uh, that you have that's positive this year, right? It's not something we talked about at all at the end of 2021 or even early 2022 when we knew the Fed was going to start raising rates, when they told you they were going to, hey, we, you know, that whole transitory thing isn't right. We got to actually start raising rates. You know, I don't know a lot of people that went out and got long UUP, but it's one of those things that, not that I'm recommending it, but if you wanted to have that kind of exposure, that's one way to throw in an alternative into your portfolio that might help you out. Imagine, theory that you, you know, way back when you said, oh, I know inflation is going to be high. The trade would have been short tips bonds and go along the dollar index like UUP. Short yeah, tip, would have been, <laughs> long UUP it would have been a great trade. Nobody would have ever put those two together like that, though, right? But those are the two things that happened this year. I know. Right? I know. So I, I continue to watch the dollar. I think people should watch that. Final thing I want to go through, and then I want to get to recommendations. I was, uh, uh, I'll just tell a quick, you know, inside baseball story. I was really early before anyone else to bring up container shipping rates as being a thing to watch. I was almost laughed off our investment committee call. Uh, of course, then we started start to see the, the stories on the shipping container stuff. Uh, Jay, at one point, uh, this is from the Daily Shot, WCI Shanghai to Los Angeles container freight benchmark rate was close to $13,000. So if you want like a container box, a 40-foot box, it would cost you like thirteen grand. The latest is it cost you $1,997. We are almost back to the pre-COVID average, Jay. You said it again. You said the C word. Oh, yeah. Well, I already blew it. So, you know, whatever. Oh, you paid the... a thousand times now? Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. Give me the, give me the, the, the you know, the, the, this. They put, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, they put on, um, it's the Rogan disclaimer. So it's, if you mention the C word, they put a blue box that says, oh, you know, to get all the information, they put you to like the CDC or something. I don't know. So that's going to show up on our episode now. But Jay, um, we did it. It's a round trip. We came all the way up and all the way back down. Yay for us, right? Full, full recognition of you being early on the container cost uh, situation. Absolutely. In the middle of 2020, you started talking about this. You were... You were definitely uh, teased about the, really, we care about shipping container costs. So you were spot on that it turned out to be a huge problem. So full props for you sticking with it. And then I also, you know, you've been pretty, you've been pretty good about not throwing it in everybody's face. So we appreciate <laughs> that too. But you were, you were all over that one. Uh, it is nice to see that number come down. And uh, the implication there is that, 
oh, this could actually help with some deflation because demand can be met because we are actually receiving the containers, receiving the supplies that we need. Um, part of this to me, obviously, is, is a China story, right? Uh, China, I'll say now, the, the zero COVID policy on China is something that uh, has been a real worry to this uh, metric of the cost of freight containers, right? And how many, you know, we could actually unload. What you haven't brought up, Derek, is the second thing that you also pointed out was not only were there, you know, costs on the shipping containers and ships sitting out in the ocean that they were trying to keep track of, but also then the actual delivery and the trucking backlog in the United States. And I'm probably opening up a can of worms for you on that one. But, um, you know, the, the, those are all those things have to work themselves out. Maybe my friend will be able to get her oats sooner rather than later now that this is fixing itself. Well, Freightways, I'll just mention before I quickly pivot to uh, to our recommendations, Freightways, which is a site, a logistics shipping site that I follow. And yes, you can make fun of me for following it. There have been some stories about... We've got four subscribers, and, and you use, you have used two email addresses, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, subscribe. I know. Everyone should check out Freightways. But they, uh, there have been some stories about some trucking companies laying off truckers. I don't know if it's because they overhired, but there's, there's chatter about demand waning um, that could be bad for the economy or could be that... Because they're watching CNBC and they hear about a recession, so they're firing truckers. All right. No, I'm going to start with my. We're going to use a different R word, and it's recommendations. Jay, I'm going to. I'll go first here, and I've got two, uh, because I was thinking about container shipping, and I've always mentioned uh, I I enjoyed researching the history of container shipping, and yes, that's uh, that's a thing. Uh, Contraband with Mark Wahlberg, great caper movie. Uh, it's it's not a new movie, but it's it's on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it for free if you have Amazon Prime. And uh, it's it's a caper, so it's it's centered around they're they're making a run on a uh, container ship, and uh, it, I think it's a really good movie. Uh, the other one, Jay, is my son gave a recommendation, and it is uh, there was a, a documentary on Netflix. Uh, it's, it's the Pepsi. So Pepsi used to do this thing where if you had so many points, you could get gifts and they ran a commercial. And I think they said, you know, for X million number of points, well, you can win a, a Harrier jet. Well, some guy actually collected enough points and he called them on it. And Pepsi obviously did not. They said, well, we're just kidding. Uh, so anyway, there's a whole documentary on it. I actually don't know how the story ends. I'm going to have to watch it. But those are my two recommendations, Jay. All right. Well, I've got I've got two. So I've been uh, been watching binge watching an older show called Animal Kingdom. It's also on Prime. Uh, I think it's an AMC show that they're showing on Prime. Um, uh, I you know I think it's pretty. It's it's if I had to describe it, it's a little bit. It's about this uh, Southern California family who's really a bunch of criminals, right? And uh, the lead uh, actress in it is uh, um, uh, Ellen Barkin and, uh, you know, a handful of other players are in it, but it's, it's, it's a decent if you want to watch a little, uh, a little drama. But my strongest recommendation, absolutely, and if I haven't said it before, I can't believe it, is the movie called The Menu. It's in, movie, it's in theaters now. I mean, absolute joy to watch. And when I say it's a joy to watch, I mean, it's a horror thriller comedy kind of a movie, 
Uh, you, I laughed. I might have been the only one in the theater laughing, but a lot. It was. It's really. It's a good movie. The uh, lead actor in it is uh, Ralph Fiennes, and uh, the lead actress is. Uh, I think it's uh, Anya Taylor Joy. She's the one that was in the Queen's Gambit. So I really highly recommend that movie. I walked out of the movie smiling. I turned to my wife. I'm like, I'm smiling right now. I enjoyed that movie so much. So, you know, it's not, you know, but, you know, I'm not going to say it's not too gory. It's it's a comedy horror thriller is the category. So it's going to be a little bit of gore, but really good, really good movie. Pound on the table on it. I like it. By the way, I couldn't I, uh, pound more. I mean, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. No joke. Strong recommendation. Higher than Goldman's recommendation for the market next year, I think. Uh, so, <laughs> Clearly. This is by a the plus way, I did look up and I remember I said, I feel like I've seen a movie, Animal Kingdom. I did. It was 2010. It was an Australian movie. And you might be saying, well, why the heck did you see this? You may remember you and I both were traveling every week. You know, we were running the, uh, the trading education for TD Ameritrade. So I was all over the place and it was back before, you know, I mean, I, I think I had an iPod and I used to have to struggle to find stuff to watch because back then you couldn't download like stuff from Netflix or so randomly this showed up as, uh, you know, and I bought it and I watched it. And by the way, so I, I was, you probably remember this too. Remember when you had to watch like the movie on the plane and I was traveling in December and the movie was Elf. And they were always like, for a special holiday treat, we have Elf. And all of us business travelers would look at each other, just be like, oh, for God's sakes, please don't, don't play this again. Um, but anyway, Jay, that's my... I, I'm also bullish Elf, if you're wondering. I watch it every year. Our family loves watching it. It's got to be know. on people's list. Right? Don't you have like the, the, the small list of movies you have to watch every holiday season with uh, your wife and your son? Yeah, well, we have, it's sort of a tradition, too. We started watching uh, Love Actually, the British uh, uh, drama. Uh, do I, I don't think it. I can join this podcast anymore. I have, to <laughs> my, I have to distance myself that you've now called out Love Actually and called it a Christmas movie. That's fine. Well, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I get movie. it. It takes place during Christmas. I get it. Die Hard's a Christmas movie? Right. Same category. Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Gotcha. Christmas adjacent. But love Actually, that, that's the one you call out. You don't call out like Home Alone. You don't call out Christmas Vacation. or No, right? all of those. Uh, you don't call out I'm giving Christmas contrarian recommendations, Jay. I'm saying. Wow. Like, you yeah, just of course Home Alone. Your credibility on all this data that you provided. No, I, I was going to follow you with this. <laughs> love Actually. All right. <laughs> we're going to have to get to the bottom of this maybe in episode 200. Full we'll disclosure, begin. I watched it last week. So go ahead. There you go. Oh, you did? All right. Well, <laughs> well, Lynn was watching it, so I watched it. There you go. Well, during the uh, the lead up to Christmas week, which will be episode 200, I'm sure you'll be on that. We'll give our Christmas recommendations in that one, Jay. All right, so let's call it there. And uh, people can get a hold of me at Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com, D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z as in Zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in Apple, G as in George, A as in Apple. Financial's up to you to spell correctly. All right, Jay. Thanks for coming on again, and uh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna check out the menu. I have no. I have no yeah, idea what you that should. is. Your strongest, strongest recommendation. All right, Jay. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. You got it.